Bring your kingdom here, let the darkness fear. Throw your mighty hand over streets and land. Set the church on fire, win this nation back. Change the atmosphere, bring your kingdom here, we pray. Welcome to the Up for Discussion podcast, the only show on the internet where we talk about the things we talk about in the order we talk about them. I'm Tom Zalatni. I'm Tim Blay. And we have a special guest calling in from Ireland right now. Ooh. He is a critically acclaimed uh, movie and, no, not movie, music video and documentary director, uh, writer, speaker, podcast host, Greg Fromholz. <laughs> How's it going? Doing Okay. How are you? How are you well? That's, I didn't know I needed to bring my own instrument to this podcast. I would have been more prepared if I would have. We could, we could have had a sweet jam session. I, uh, I, know, I, I hear rumors. I could get a washboard or kazoo. kazoo. What is that? Kazoo? What are they called? Yeah. Kazoos? Yeah. I, yeah. I want a kazoo. I've heard stories about you uh, doing some weird percussion things. I never know if Scott's serious about that or not. <laughs> yeah, they're probably all true. <laughs> I, I I play in different bands, and one band in particular, I'm kind of a, a bit of a resident performance artist. So I'll play like you know, like the rubbish bin that the Red Collective play. They got that. Oh, yeah, yeah. That came from me, and so I used to play with them. And so I'll play nice. broken glass and saw blades, and you know, just whatever is handy that's metal and makes a lot of noise. And is very dangerous to human health. Okay, it is, but it's also quite it's also quite funny. I once freaked out a, a guy called Chris uh, Tomlin by playing a chain into a bin lid, and nobody warned him that I was going to be there on stage <laughs> until it was too late. <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's great fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. So, so you just put out a book uh, fairly recently, within the past month, I guess. Yeah, it would seem like that, uh, but it's actually just near coming up to a year now, actually. Really? Yeah. Well, now I feel terrible because I only realized you had a book like a month ago. I just read That's it this part- morning and it's fantastic. <laughs> that, may, that might be part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> you just haven't no, made I- it to, to this neck of the woods yet. Yeah, okay. Or any neck of the woods, maybe. But uh, thank you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed the book. Yeah, it was great. It's uh, it's called Broken, and then what's the the subtitle is Restoring Trust Between the Sacred and the Secular. Is that it? Yeah, it's a it's the book should have just been called. Room. Yeah, that is correct. Actually, yeah, <laughs> good to see you're prepared there, Tom. I think that <laughs> I would have uh, probably preferred to have just called it Trust because it's more just about what it is to to grow and restore trust between human beings, ourselves, and God, uh, society, culture, and and kind of not living in a dualistic mindset. Hmm. Yeah, that's it. I was uh, I was kind of trying to give a brief summary to Tim this morning after uh, after I finished reading it, and he was like, "What does it mean to like you know restore trust between the sacred and the secular?" And I was like, uh, "I mean, a lot of the book is mostly about restoring trust between yourself and like everybody else in your life, basically." Yeah. So I didn't uh, I didn't quite feel the like sacred and secular tension as much as uh, as much as the subtitle might have implied. I would. Yeah, I suppose that I, I I guess I just grew up in a quite a um, segregated uh, mindset. I suppose because I went to church where they told me I had to hang out with these people and those people and do these type of things because they were Christian. Well, everything else was quote unquote non Christian, but they used to use that phrase. It was secular. And that was always the bad thing. Oh, it's secular. And then I actually bothered to read the definition right, of secular, yeah. and secular is like you know, it's part of the, the zeitgeist of the now. And I'm like, flip me. If I'm a Christian, or if I believe in anything, I want it to be relevant now. So I guess I would consider myself a Christian secularist, I guess, or a secular Christianist. 
sorry, our, our Wi-Fi, like we keep our router at the other end of the house right? Uh, from the studio. And so it, the, we basically like can't do anything that really involves the internet in our studio, which is terrible. So yeah, the router is basically near the Xbox. It's uh, way over yonder. Yeah. It's, in- you know, it's frustrating because when the guy from Bell came to install our internet, I told him like it'd be really great if the router was installed like somewhere in the middle of the house, and he like just went straight to the living room at the other end and was like, "No, this is the perfect spot." And, uh, <laughs> uh, that's awful. I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> uh, so you were you were saying about uh, you grew up in like a in a Christian sort of circle that was very like critical of secular culture and like very divisive and. Uh, made it hard for you to sort of know how to fit in between those two things, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I know the book is not like, it's not an academic book. It's more of a personal kind of almost uh, memoir towards that. And I suppose that like with, you know, I don't know if you guys had this growing up. I'm probably, I'm much older than you are anyways, but you know, we had this season where this guy uh, had saw demons on the speakers of a Christian concert. And because of that, he told everybody that they should go and burn all their Christian albums that had a beat to them. And so here I am, like 11, 12 years old, like breaking and burning Amy Grant and, you know, Michael W. Smith. (laughs) I think, how harmless are these people? I mean, the Striper one, fair enough, but it was a pretty cool album, you know, Yellow and Black Attack. Who doesn't? Thank you. (laughs) That was was the one that really got me. And, um, but we literally sat there as a family and broke our albums in half. And it was really kind of a surreal moment where I'm like, what, how is this right? I'm not sure if, if the God, if God exists and he created us to make good music, why are we destroying Striper? <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe that's an oxymoron. I'm not sure. But I do think that uh, from then on, I kind of just started thinking a little bit more. I tried not to think as dualistically as, but I just grew up in a household where it was like, this is good. This is bad. This is Christian. This is secular. They were one of the same. Um, and there was always an excuse as well, not to have fun. We can't do that. It's secular. I'm like, what, right. what are you talking about? And so the book kind of came out of a background of that, and then also a, a growing understanding of even now as the church declines, there's this kind of entrenchment happening where they're kind of disappearing back into, into some severe tribalism, and they're starting to use those words again. We're sacred, they're secular. Right. Um, and as soon as we start doing that, we're on a losing streak. Mm-hmm. Right. You, sort of, you dig in your feet and cr- try to keep what little ground you have. Exactly. But it, but it means that you're never going to reach anybody else. Yeah. Exactly. And you start using language that excludes. And as soon as anyone starts using exclusionary language, whether it's Trump or whether it's, uh, you know, the, the church here in Ireland, we're starting, you know, you're basically saying we give up. We're going to just basically protect our own. Right. Yeah. And that's that's really, you know, anyone who's ever worked in ministry can tell you, like, that's really not a good way to get more people in. No, certainly not. No, <laughs> no. And it's, it's 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 the worst way of keeping the right people in. Oh, sorry, the wrong people in. I mean, right. it's, there's nothing worse than looking around the room and going, oh, man, all these people agree with me. This is a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Um, do you, is Ireland, Ireland sort of... Is is Ireland? Would you say it's like a post-Christian society at this point? Like by and large, is it? Because Quebec is very much like that now, like where we are in Canada. Oh, is that it's right? Like, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of had its heyday of like extreme like Catholicism in like the forties and fifties, and ever since then, it's pretty. It's very post-Christian. And where the churches there are quite involved with um, government and yeah, yeah, po- okay, yeah. So we're pretty much probably very similar to Quebec, even though I've never been there. And that, okay. and that, you know, you know, 
hey, I, I I work with the Anglican and the Catholic Church here, and there's some really great stuff going on. But by and large, as a nation, for sure, we're definitely post-Christian. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's something that maybe just happens when when like Christianity mixes with power and gets muddled up. Oh. Eventually, there's this. Eventually, there's this very large backlash that goes on. And everybody's looking around going, what happened? I don't understand. And you're like, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. <laughs> we, thought, we thought the more power we got, the more people would love us. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I actually asked someone recently, I know we might talk about this later. There's a guy called Tony Campolo. Mm. And I was recently filming with him. And one of the questions I asked him was, is it difficult to speak truth to power, uh, especially when the power is in the White House? And I think that mm. a lot of the problems when you have, like you're saying, when the church all of a sudden is, is effectively in bed with the government or with school systems or whatever, they kind of they, they kind of lose their ability to, to be that prophetic voice, that outsider voice or the insider voice, whatever voice it is, to try to challenge the status quo because they're so mm-hmm. concerned about protecting the status quo because it pays their bills, it gives them power, and uh, that's that can be problem that can be problematic for everyone, including myself, actually. Right. Yeah, I mean, like it's it's really easy for you know positions of power to kind of corrupt you right like even if you go into it in like a good place initially you can totally you know eventually lead yourself into a space of like you know wanting more and like you know compromising your morals for the status quo yeah because it's, it's so enticing you know what i mean like it's great when people recognize you or you have a platform you have a voice or you you know all of a sudden you feel like you're someone and you don't really see the kind of toxic the toxicity of that power corrupting you from the inside out you know yeah and i think i think there's something there's something interesting about having power and yet there being there being resistance like there's there's something i think really corrupting and i i i think this might be what happens with a lot of politicians where you actually have less power than you thought you would <clears throat> and and you like Every t- anytime you're sort of set up in a situation where you thought you would be able to do something and then someone resists you because it's their job to resist you, it's very easy to slip into that like adversarial mentality, right? Where I have, I am denied this thing that I should be able to do for the good of everybody. And all of a sudden you get a savior complex. Yeah, I've had one of those for a very long time. <laughs> 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 yeah then again i'm talking hypothetically because i have no power whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> no, you have power over your millions of readers sway their minds and hearts right oh all the millions that go hey did this book just come out yes okay <laughs> sure yeah hey, you just riding the wave sure <laughs> i've got i've got to ask on the uh on the back of the book it calls the graveyard shift the number one podcast what in in what uh what chart are they looking at there <laughs> Oh, that's a bit harsh. Um, <laughs> okay, fair enough. It's fair though. Uh, we you just, guys are number one in my books. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just genuinely curious. <laughs> no, my children really love it. No, actually, my family's never my family's never listened to it. No, we actually really? no, they don't bother. They they're like when they're asked in school, "What does your dad do?" They're like, "Uh, uh, I have no idea." It's literally their answer. <laughs> they have no idea what I do. But no, we believe it or not, uh, probably not, but. The podcast in Ireland goes in and out of number one in the religious um, podcast section, religious slash spirituality podcast section, quite regularly. Oh, nice. so, yeah, as a matter of fact, we had we had a, a friend of mine called Rob Bell was on about in August at some point, and that's he, a nice casual name drop. <laughs> well, the, the, there's a point to it because, but <laughs> because his podcast is huge, right? But in right. Ireland, for that those two weeks, we were beating him even in his podcast. Wow. 
Yeah, because locally, nice. blah, 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 blah. But yeah, so we dip in and out, we dip in and out of number one, and uh, it's quite fun. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So how about you guys? I wish we could dip. <laughs> we, we're we're not even charting anywhere. Well, think. we just we just need to find our chart. I think like if you restrict our it to like humorous three man podcasts in the Montreal area featuring <laughs> Irish writers on religious matters, we could get there. We could probably be number one. <laughs> Anybody could be number one if you narrow down just enough. That's yeah. the game. We all we need is a, a quote for the back of our book. That's all we want. It's literally. It's literally the only reason why I do the podcast was to have that one little excerpt. Because once it's printed, you can't you can't deny it. It's truth. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. It's fact. It's in print. <laughs> so it is written. Is, is there anything? Is there anything that's in print in your book that you look back and you're like, that was a weird thing to write? Like, how much time do you got? <laughs> yeah, that's true. I find that in my creative projects all the time. Uh, yeah, you guys know. Yeah, exactly. You're creatives. You've done this stuff mm-hmm. before. Yeah, um, I think I'm fairly. Yeah, I, I would say I'm 90% proud of that book. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff in it. I think the tricky thing is I'm not an obvious writer, in insofar as I don't write books like I don't know Elizabeth Gilbert would write or whatever. You know, it's where it's really easy to read. You kind of have to you have to be a bit committed to my writing style because it's kind of story based and a, a, a colleague of mine calls it theopoetics. And so it's kind of, it breaks down a little bit of the kind of, so you have to commit to reading, but I do think there's a lot of good stuff in there, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, totally. That's actually, that's a really good way to put it. Cause I, I found the first chapter, I had a really hard time figuring out what was going on. And then by like, <laughs> by chapter three, I was super invested cause I'd kind of gotten used to your writing style and I was like, oh yeah, I get this now. Cool. Yeah. Most people don't commit past chapter one. <laughs> <laughs> well, my policy, like I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of sitcoms, especially, and pilots are never good. No, they're so not. I always say like the first of something is never the way to judge it. You have to like get a few in before you can actually like decide if something's good or not. Right. Cause you have to like get a, a, a sense into the mind of this person. And maybe, maybe, you know, the genius of your book for people who stick it out is that if like, if your style of writing is weird, it's a way for people to get inside like your particular mind, right? There's no one else who could be writing this book. Yeah, I, I suppose that where I would probably, where I probably would lack is that most people have platforms that they're writing from. And so they'll say, we've seen this person speak, or we've heard that person live, or we've seen right. this. But with me, most likely people who are buying my book haven't seen me speak live. So they don't even understand the way that I go about communicating as such. Hmm. And so they don't have a, yeah. a premise. Yeah, a lot of the time I I had to like I had to visualize it as you giving us a, a talk at like an event basically. Yes. Yeah. I and got, then it then yeah. it clicked, you know, and then it made a lot of sense. Someone said to me after an event we did in Christchurch Cathedral with DJs and lighting rigs and whatever and whatnot. It was great fun. And we were there in the middle of this cathedral doing this gig and afterwards uh this kid came up to me and said, "You know what? It's like watching Tarantino direct." He goes, I had no idea what was going on. And then at the end, it all became clear. And I was like, oh. Ooh, that's high praise. That's a good compliment. It's a good compliment unless you're trying to actually be a communicator. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I have to figure oh. it out. Okay, your next six books can be revenge fantasies. That would be great. How'd you know? <laughs> I, love, I would love that. I would love to write a revenge fantasy. Yeah, I'm there. All right. Do you have an adversary in mind already? Oh, Scott Evans. I can't. I can't even. The list is too long. And you just asked me the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, 
Actually, it's funny because on our podcast, we do a. Uh, you guys don't do any games on your podcast, huh? Not often. We'll, we'll sometimes throw it in. Yeah, I mean, we because we do a thing called Fifty Shades of Prey. All right, where we have we, to, we, we basically have to guess whether it's a devotional book title or it's a um, kind of dodgy romance novel title. Title, and so <laughs> right. and so your 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 revenge fiction kind of would fit in right really nicely into that scenario. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I can I can see that. I can definitely see that play out. All right, let's go. Rob Bell, Sex God. <laughs> see? Exactly. Yeah. You know, you, you nailed it. It's literally that. You can you can do it even with like Thomas Merton. The seven story mountain. I mean like it's just I mean like I mean it's just the way you read it. The basic principles of monasticism. You know, it's just a, a horse it's a, and his boy. <laughs> see, now you're on it. Yeah. The wounded healer. Yeah, I mean, there's like lots of different. Uh, it can get dodgy pretty quickly. <laughs> oh, this is like, have you ever played a game for good Christians? Mm, you know, <laughs> is, this, is that a no, or I wouldn't want to admit to that. Is Probably it, a little bit a... of both. I think I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's a dodgy game in itself. It's basically Cards Against Humanity, but using like Bible passages taken kind of out of context. As a matter of fact, I think there's a graveyard edition of that. Oh really? Yeah, they—they they, I think they did us an edition of that of that um, very game. Hmm. Were you conspicuously absent? That's what number one uh, brings you: product placement. It doesn't. It actually very doesn't. Nice. We have no product placement at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, this week's episode of the Up for Discussion podcast is brought to you by Broken, the new book from Greg Fromholz that just came out this month. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's cur- currently going in and out of number one on the podcast charts. It's not the right chart, but who, who cares? <laughs> yeah, it's it's number one and it's number one in my house right here. Actually, my family's not even read the book. Your family sounds like they don't support you as much as they should. I'm calling them out. <laughs> yeah, they kind of suck. No, I'm sure. <laughs> Actually, as wow. a matter of fact, I think my wife might be bringing me some fresh banana bread as we speak. So I'm on a winner Whoa. here. Yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> yeah. This is how you reestablish the trust. <laughs> the, that's chapter nine of the book. Banana bread is called. <laughs> Bring your husband banana bread. <laughs> Actually, do you, do you guys do pumpkin pie over there in uh, Canada? Yeah. Oh, for sure. I miss pumpkin pie. It's actually, uh, we're recording on Canadian Thanksgiving right now. Oh, really? Uh, a day that is often filled with pumpkin pie. What is true? Although I found out recently that most of the like canned pumpkin that you get is actually squash. What? We need to restore trust between us and canned pumpkin. That's true. Which was my, that was my working title originally as well. (laughs) But what is, what does Canada have to be thankful for? Thankful for? Not being America, I guess. We get get to be America's hat. That's fine. (laughs) No, not being America. That's perfect. I, I mean, yeah, lots of things. We're getting so much more like livable land because it's warming up all over the globe. Nice. We don't have polar bears anymore. They what? kill people sometimes. You don't Wait, have do we po- not have polar bears anymore? No, the polar bears are rapidly disappearing. We still have polar bears. So you- but a lot of them are brown now. Really? Well, it's just what happens when everything gets dirty and all the snow melts. I don't think Ireland ever had polar bears. Polar bears. Not as far as I know. Um, you guys, do you do you guys actually have no snakes? Is that is that true? That is true. All right. Well, well, that's. I mean, that's a plus. Well, that must make it really easy to trust people. <laughs> are, you, are you really trying to get the book in there that badly? Uh, that badly? No, I think that we have snakes, but they're like in pet stores. 
okay. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. I don't know. I once heard it, never trust a man with a, with a pet snake. I'm not sure that's true or not, though. Is, that must be an Irish saying, just because, like, there's, there's no snakes around. <laughs> well, P- St. Patrick apparently rid them of, a, of our land, but that's yeah. debatable on many, many, many levels. <laughs> I always wondered, like, how he did that. Did he start in the middle and, like, spiral outward and, like, push them towards the coast? Yeah, I think so. I think he just uh, kind of, you know how Wonder Woman spins? He kind of did that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, sure. St. Patrick is the Wonder Woman of the uh, monastic era. Yeah, I believe it. Yeah, yeah, good. Sounds sounds legit. <laughs> yeah, I didn't just make that up. It's true. No, totally. No, yeah. yeah. Thomas uh, Thomas Merton said that originally. So you're, I I feel like our our audience who don't know you, which is probably like at least a couple of them, which is every uh, which is everyone. Yeah, we only have a couple people listening. Oh, okay. Um, then. All right, I hear. You. They've heard us call you Irish a bunch of times, and they're hearing your voice. So you're American, but you're living in Ireland. Yes. And you've been living in Ireland for like a thousand years now or something? Just over a thousand years. So what what brought you there back in uh, 19... Nope. (laughs) Back in 1015. (laughs) That's the year. (laughs) Well, I mean, some people call it a crime. It was, I think, it's more of an act of passion. But no, I uh, when I was like 16, I moved away from home. And uh, started kind of working in with, you know, kind of lay missions organizations around the world. And one of them brought me to Ireland and uh, I never left. <laughs> it's kind of true, actually. I, did, I came here to Ireland for one week, went back home and worked in an old folks home for a year and McDonald's together. Not at the same time. And uh, and just thought, well, there's got to be more to life than this. And so I came back to Ireland and never left. Well, Yeah. So what did you, what did you, was there like a job waiting for you there? Or you just packed up and went to Ireland and saw what it would bring you? A bit from column A and column B, actually. There was kind of a job with a lay missions organization here that I was kind of going to be going into like um, high schools and running full day retreats, which are like, you know, kind of opportunities to get to know students and also talk about our faith. And so we ended up pioneering a whole kind of kind of non, uh, what's kind of like a lay person's type retreat. So there wasn't any like clergy on it, just us 20 somethings. And, uh, it ended up being quite successful. So we ended up working with about, a, about, a, maybe about 150,000 students, um, wow. over a 10 year period. And from that, I got into playing with bands, um, been doing that for 25 years as well as musicians and recording. And then before you know it, it was kind of developed into church planning, writing, and then all the kind of visual based stuff I do now with music videos and documentaries. So it's kind of, it's been quite a long evolution, but it's all kind of around the same um, desire to see people's stories told well, or to tell stories well, so that people can kind of engage in a deeper level of their understanding of God. Right. Yeah. You, you really seem to be like a creative jack of all trades. Like, Yeah. I wish mm-hmm. I, I wish I could bake or build a table, but I can't, <laughs> I can't really do those two things very well. What about like Ikea? Can you do Ikea? Do you know what? Ikea has beaten me many a time, <laughs> but I <laughs> I have figured it out recently. Yeah, I, I feel like Ikea is the closest I can get to building furniture. And even then I'll make mistakes. Like I'll build stuff on the wrong angle. So it's way more <laughs> difficult to hammer things in than it's supposed to be. Yes. <laughs> or you'll forget one of those little wooden pegs and you're wondering why your table's wobbly at the end of it. And you look down and there's like a, a pile of wooden pegs and you're like, oh no. These go somewhere. I know <laughs> but I mean, it's a, what annoys me is when people go, oh, I built a table this weekend. You're like, wow. Do you have like a workshop? 
Well, it was Ikea. You didn't build a table. You assembled a table. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? But that, Which that, is, well, no one, no one, come on, Greg. No one ever builds a table. You assemble the table from a tree. <laughs> the tree is, built the table. Get it right. This is and true. God built the tree. Okay, fine. God does everything. But like, uh, <laughs> but like my, a friend of ours, he, he uh, does a thing where he goes to Ikea and they have a rule that once you know the name of it in uh, Ikea language, Swedish. In Ikean. Ikean, thank you. Uh, then you must use it from then on. So they'll be like, oh, that's a very nice Farfik Nugan. Oh, thank you. I like your Flickenslocker <laughs> or whatever it is. But they, they literally will walk around the shop using these words. It's fantastic. <laughs> that's great. You should try it. Everybody should try that at home. Next time I go to Ikea, I'll, uh, I'll walk around saying names out loud. Why wait? Just call your furniture in your home by the Ikea name. Oh, shoot. I guess we do have like... We're sitting on Ikea furniture right now. I don't yeah. know what it's called. It's the Swiss cheese chairs. Swiss cheese? Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't think... Yeah, just, and the ones with the holes in them. You should Tom's, be... Uh, Tom is scanning them for signs of a name, but I think it is all for naught. This is the one piece of Ikea furniture that doesn't have a tag on it explaining its name. Oh, well. So does that make you some sort of like racist... For, uh, <laughs> Sorry. That took a turn. <laughs> Explain your accusations, Greg Fromholz. Sorry, you broke up there. <laughs> Explain your accusations to us. I'm joking. I was just wondering what I was saying. Like, I mean, I, I wonder if people from IKEA are offended when people call it a chair. Oh, geez. Oh. Man, I don't know. Yeah, I guess we need to check our privilege. I guess so. But then what if I am offended when they call it a Flukenwagen? Okay, a Flukenwagen is obviously a like, chest of drawers. Um, I was I was thinking it was more of like an underwater sea vehicle, but okay. You would think that. I would. Racist. Do, yeah. do they so, <laughs> Do they make underwater sea vehicles cuz I'm in? I I presume so. It's somewhere in that maze. You just have to keep walking long enough. Okay. I will do that. I I briefly forgot we were talking about IKEA and I thought you just meant like in general and I was like, yeah, that's what a submarine is. <laughs> Apparently a submarine was invented by an Irishman. Really? Yeah, apparently, yeah. That and chocolate milk. So something good can come out of Ireland. Oh, wow. harsh. Oh, snap. Yeah. Well, so how do you how do you go about acquiring all these like various skills that you've gotten over your life? What's that process look like for you? Do you just do you like read a lot or you just go and do things? I get fired and then I need to look for a new job. Um, <laughs> no, good I, answer. I don't know. I think that um, it's a good question, actually. I say that because I'm, time. yeah, <laughs> well, the funny thing is, you know, I, I, there's a lot of delay tactics that I could employ, but we're not live, like as far as you're not looking at me, so I can't wave my arms madly. Um, I think that I have basically kind of, it feels like I stumbled from one thing to the next, but as I look back, I can realize that they were definitely an evolution of, of ideas and skill sets being acquired as I went along. So for example, <clears throat> you know, I played in marching bands when I was growing up, so I knew how to hold a beat. Um, but that okay. didn't that didn't mean that I would be in a band. But when I came to Ireland, I arrived into a audition for a percussionist, <clears throat> and they didn't have anything there except for some junk that they'd found literally in the skip outside. And they were just going to test me to see if I had what it took to uh, to play in time or whatever. And we actually turned it into quite a thing. This is before <laughs> Stomp and all that kind of stuff. And so I get you kind of stumble into stuff. I think when it comes to writing. Um, or speaking, a lot of times I was the only guy who was willing to take the jump or the risk. Mm. Um, certainly with our first uh, Ren Collective video, the band called the Ren Collective, you covered them badly at the start of the uh, show. 
Yes, and, thank you. I, it's, it's 10 a.m. here. I just woke up. <laughs> no, I actually quite liked it. Actually, it was a good ukulele. But, uh, but um, when we first started doing videos with those guys, I didn't really know how to make or direct a film. I just knew that it was possible. And so we would just try it, make mistakes, uh, and then get better as we went along. So I guess it's trial and error. But I really do genuinely have a, a desire to capture stuff and capture people's story. And so originally I was capturing it um, through live interviews and then it was being done television, radio, and then it was being done on podcasts and then we moved to film. So uh, I think it's just a, an evolution of opportunity, I guess. Does that, does that even make any, that probably doesn't make any sense, does it? No, that, 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 that resonates with, I mean, that definitely resonates with the way I've learned to do basically everything that I do. Yeah. Right. It's just to, to start doing it, do it badly, and then decide to keep going, right? Hmm. Yeah, people have got to be willing to do things really badly. I think we need yeah. to have, we need to celebrate bad things more often. Because, yeah, that's it. You, celebrate the initiative. Yeah, really. <laughs> and like, find the good thing in it and be like, okay, that. That I want to, I want to keep. I mean, like, you look at you look at a child coloring a, like they're coloring a picture of whatever a polar bear or whatever, and they're all outside of lines, and it's the first time they've ever done it before. They're not using the color white, or whatever it is, because the bear is coloring it brown because it got dirty. <laughs> exactly, from it's from Canada. But, what kind of coloring book puts a polar bear in there? That's a terrible idea. What? No, why? <laughs> it's like don't color this part. <laughs> it's the worst coloring book. <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. Never thought about that. <laughs> and so, anyways, but the point being is that you're right. I mean, if they're coloring all over the shop, I mean, there's no reason to look at that and go, you idiot. You know, you look yeah. at it and go, and like you said, celebrate the things in that are good. And who knows? They might be onto something. Like, I mean, unless they're an idiot. Unless they are an <laughs> idiot. Yes. And then you just need to be up front and say, look, you're an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> stop. Just stop the, the coloring. But I, yeah. I mean, a further answer to your question is that I've always... I've always been attracted to and gathered with other creatives. And so there's always a conversation about what else, how, how, how can we push this further? How can we develop this? Can we try it? Might not work. Let's give it a go. There's always been a kind of a freedom in my community and relationships and friendships that have allowed for trying new stuff out without feeling like you're going to hurt someone's feelings or be called an idiot, you know? Right. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that, that really resonates. I mean, you had a chapter in your book uh, where you were talking about how uh, it's important for us to be collaborating on things. Uh, yes. Um, and, and in fact, I feel like that's kind of a huge overarching theme in the book really is, you know. I agree. One of the most beautiful things that we can do as humans is collaborate with each other to make better things, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of always been my policy too, ever since Tim and I started doing like music stuff together is like, it's really good to like work with other people and make stuff that's better than what you can make alone. I, I couldn't agree more. Vanilla Ice was right. <laughs> was Vanilla Ice the center of a large collaborative effort? <laughs> no, he I mean, he has a song, Stop, Collaborate, and Listen. You know that one? Ice is back yeah, with a yeah, brand yeah. new invention. Yeah. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop you? I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow. See? Yeah. Exactly what I'm talking about right there. <laughs> there. That, that was better than we could have done it by ourselves. <laughs> Although yeah, I mean, I don't even heard Tom rap that entire thing. I think he's he's pretty much got it. Down. I do have the whole thing locked down. <laughs> I never knew the word harpoon was in it. I'm gonna go back and look for that now. That's quite impressive. Like a har- what does that even mean? Flow like a harpoon. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It sounds good though. It sounds yeah. quite. It sounds it sounds vaguely fallock to me. But well, it's weird because he says flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. 
Well, yeah. like I've never known harpoons to be something that have any kind of temporal <laughs> specifications. Well, when you're hunting that whale, you gotta. I mean, you find the whale, whatever time it is, you gotta go go for it. Okay, grab it by the harpoon. <laughs> okay, I don't know what we're talking about right now, but um, I'm assuming it's harpooning whales. Yeah, we're talking about Cap Nahab. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. You know, yep. Vanilla Ice—they're both hunting a great white thing. And here, I mean, but and and in all seriousness, collaboration is an amazing thing. And I think that the best stuff I've done has been in collaboration with whether it's editors or DPs or DJs or other friends on podcasts. I mean, it's just—and that's actually a lot more fun. It's fun. Mm, it's fun. Yeah. It's a lot funner to do, to do it together. And it's it's so much it's so much more freeing to to see what you've made at the end too because when you make something by yourself you are you are the sole author of the good things but also all the bad things. Yeah. So I find when I watch something that's like purely a product of me, I hate it because all I can see is all the stupid little things that I did wrong because we're so hard on ourselves, right, as creative mm-hmm. people. Absolutely. But then as soon as someone else is in the process, you can look at them and just be like, "Oh, you're so good." Yeah. And like yeah, that that makes it worth it. It also gives you someone else to blame. <laughs> That's true as well. <laughs> but it also, yeah, I think it makes you more forgiving of mistakes. Like yours yes. and the other person's. And so do you guys, do you guys work together all the time? Uh, we've, uh, we've sort of become more collaborative as it, as it's gone on. Mm-hmm. Like ever since we've, we've moved back in together um, as a, yeah, we sort of wound up more as a, more as a creative duo, mm-hmm. I think now than we have been before and what kind of stuff do you guys um, collaborate on so like top like i my main creative stuff right now is this youtube channel acapella science that i'm doing yes um, which is like yeah so that started like it started well it started out of us like working together doing youtube stuff like we had this old like cover acoustic cover band that we did um and then i sort of went off and did my own thing with acapella science and it kind of turned into a full-time job which was nice great but it's like it's very freeing now to not be doing that solo because for a long time I did I didn't know how to share that hmm. like it felt like such a I don't know it's 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 weird when you're like when you have an idea and it's like really it feels like you then there's this desire to like close in on yourself and like oh this is me like I have to do this entirely myself yeah you know? yeah um I have to like yeah have full control over this but now I'm like this past year I've been collaborating with a lot of people and I've been like working with Tom more and it's so much better to like have someone be like, Hey, look at this. Like what, what should I change? Like, or, or like, I can't think of this line, like, and like bounce stuff off each other. Cause it just gets you out of that, <clears throat> that block that you get into so much of the time where you're like, Oh, I, I can't, I've, I've run out, you know, cause mm-hmm. doing oh, yeah. a creative project, you always, you always run out at some point. Absolutely. Like, you you just crash and you think this is never going to get done and what's the point of doing this and it all sucks yeah. and to like to be two people on it all of a sudden there's someone being like like giving you a a new giving the project a new direction you know no absolutely and I, I I actually really love when someone can come in and give you some creative criticism um, they can help you laugh at the stuff that you you're finding difficult as well I find it's really great when you go I just I don't know does this work and they laugh at it and you're like yeah it doesn't work does it you know and you can just enjoy <laughs> it makes the process a little bit smoother I think for me personally totally yeah yeah and I find like uh, I mean yeah so I've been helping Tim out mostly in sort of a director of photography production assistant kind of sure capacity the past few videos 
Uh, and it's been fun for me, like, cause I, I'm the type of person who can't really get too heavily concentrated on a project unless it involves someone else. Uh, so my own like solo stuff, I never really get invested in. I, I never care enough to follow through on it. Uh, but as soon as I'm doing something for somebody else or something with somebody else, I'm like really excited and I really want to do it. And I'm really satisfied with it at the end. It's great. Uh, and so it's been cool for me, like, you know, getting to help out with this. Cause it's like, it's definitely been useful for Tim. Yeah. And then it's also like giving me a creative project to actually like care about. Yeah. I hear you. I mean, it's again, like some of my favorite, literally, literally the most, the things I enjoy most in life these days is the thing I do in collaboration. I mean, there's stuff I do solo as well, and that's grand, but, you know, there's nothing better than being able to bounce it off with a friend or another creative who can bring a different angle, different idea. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a lot more fun. Yeah, exactly. And the product, I think the product is always better. Yeah. Do you, do you find that you have, like, the ability when you're done a project to look to look at it with, like, anything close to objectivity? I'd like to say yes, but it's probably a lie. <laughs> I mean, I think we all believe that we're really objective. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, my piece of work there, it was, it was brilliant, but it wasn't uh, as brilliant as it could be. <clears throat> no, I think that um, I try to, um, but I probably fail most of the time. Yeah, I think, I think that's something that's really good, like why it's really good to have like collaborators also who haven't been on the project like the whole time. Yes. And like, like, you know, just to have people you're comfortable with, like before it's done being like, Hey, look at this and tell me, tell me what you see. Cause I knew what I wanted you to see at the start, but now all I can see is this like tiny little detail that I spent four hours on. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We have a great, we have a great, um, production company here that I work with all the, all the time called tiny arc. They've done all, most of my videos. I worked with them, most of my documentaries I'm working with them. And, uh, there's, you know, there's a few of us who are like in the, in the cave, like editing this down, this, you know, to 18 minutes from 10 hours worth of footage or maybe <laughs> yep. 20. I have no idea. And, uh, and you, you really get like, we think this is awesome. And then you invite in the rest of the, the company and they watch it and they're watching quietly. It finishes it. They say nice things. And then you get to the real meat of it and they start saying this could be better. That didn't hang together. What about this? Could you go there instead? And th- it becomes just a far better um, mm. film because uh, mm-hmm. I guess we can't see our own b- blind spots. Yeah, and you also you you just get at some point you burn out when when you're working on something like where you're just like, well, it's a, it's as good as I can make it, but I'm out of ideas, and you just move on. Right, you right. Need someone else to come to. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I find like even with you know my current youtube stuff that i'm doing uh i've just put out another video this past week tim and i actually both just put out new videos yeah. this past week oh, great. Um, and we helped each other out on them and it was great uh and I, my my new sort of direction that i'm taking youtube stuff in is that i'm going to try monthly to put out these ridiculous cooking videos that i've been doing sort of on and off for the past couple of years um, good and in making that there were a few moments where i'm editing down because i basically the process is that i shoot this whole thing and it's all improvised and then I go in and edit it and I cut it together to make something fun out of it. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff that I scrap. Uh, yeah. And there were a few moments where I was like, I can't tell if this bit is good. And I turned to Tim, I'm like, do you think this bit is good? And you're like, no. <laughs> so I scrapped it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good though. I mean, but you have to be able to trust them. I mean, I'm not tying yeah. this back to my book at all, but you have to be able to trust the person you're with as well. 
And that trust mm-hmm. comes through, I mean, years, if not, you know, of, of just coffees and walks and hanging out and at times shouting at each other, at times laughing to you, crying. And then you get to the point where in the creative process, so they say something to you and you can choose to be offended by it or whatever. But if you have that relationship and that trust, you kind of just, yeah, okay, yeah, good idea. Let's mm-hmm. do that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I love getting totally. to that place with with creatives, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's actually genuinely an honor to get to that place with creatives where you have that shared kind of ebb and flow of, of mutuality that says, let's make this the best it can be together, regardless of who put what where. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. So did yeah. your your book go through a lot of like revision and working like working through it with other people? Yeah, it did. I mean, maybe you can't tell. Maybe when you read it, you can't tell, and that could be a problem. No. Uh, yeah. The for sure, I had a sentence to um, some of the people who endorsed the book read it for me. Um, friends here in Ireland read it for me. Different backgrounds: some artists, a lawyer, a teacher. Uh, and then, um, of course, yeah, we have editors and stuff like that who then makes it look pretty and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, it certainly went through probably about, I'd say, eight to ten people's hands in its entirety before we started um, actually getting into the nitty-gritty of the editing. And all of them, yeah, had, that's great. All of them had suggestions. And I, I, I didn't take all of these suggestions because you also have to hold that – you have to own what you write as well. Um, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think you'd be a fool. I'd be a fool if I, uh, stopped, stopped learning, you know? Right. Yeah, totally. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like you, you touched briefly on this a minute ago. Um, like having that trusting relationship between creative people. Uh, cause even like between Tim and I, like we started off, kind of yeah when we started our kind of youtube journey together for lack of a less vomit inducing phrase (laughs) (laughs) we uh we we were doing these like you know we were doing these really like low production value uh cover videos where we would you know pick a song sing it with some guitars and some nice harmonies and you know it was good it was whatever um and then when tim started this acapella science stuff it there was kind of a moment of like broken trust where i felt like i was being left behind uh-huh. uh, and we've like reconciled that we're good whatever yeah. uh but it did sort of affect us like our ability to create together for a while it yes. did, yeah for sure it took a lot of time to like build that back up and now that we've gone past that we're in like an even better place collaboratively i think so yeah where we can be like okay we have we have these things and it it really helps like this something I really liked this month was that we were both doing like mm-hmm. doing things that were really our own. Right. So I, I find it's really cool when you can both be like, okay, this is your project. This is my project. And we're both going to like help each other mm-hmm. do yeah. that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah, I, I, you cannot ever overestimate the, the necessity of just keep of, of, of pushing through that tough, those tough times. Cause mm-hmm. a lot of people would have just given up see you Tim see you Tom we're going our own ways but even right. the even the commitment to stick it to that process out is incredible and I, I think I mean in fairness we did kind of give up for a bit there, there were like <laughs> maybe a six or seven month period where we were just barely talking mm-hmm. like yeah let's yeah. let's just do our own thing but yeah that was that was a lot of things too yeah exactly there were non-professional things involved in that like what no i'm joking <laughs> but, but it's also it's also like amazing how often that happens <clears throat> like i've seen that with people who are like roommates and and like we were we were roommates when this all went down too mm-hmm. so that was another aspect of it sure um but roommates who go into like a year together being like yeah we're the best friends like we're going to this is going to be like the most awesome like roommate thing you can think of 
and then at the end of the year they they part ways and they like never talk to each other right? yeah because they're they've just they've grown so sick of each other and somehow i think part of it is it might actually be that assumption that it was going to be perfect that then when it isn't you don't know what to do right? yes right? you don't you don't have any any fallback plan for like what if it isn't perfect what if we have to deal with stuff yeah <laughs> and so when it gets bad it gets it gets toxic i think no, I think it's really good insight. You do, you got to go in with these like fluffy clouds and soft puppies and candy floss kind of ideas that everything's going to be perfect. And the next thing you know, it's like, hey, this thing's not really working out as well as we thought. And you can, you have, you have to make a choice then and there. Are we going to pursue this or are we going to abandon it? And you know, sometimes you do need to step, walk away from stuff. But uh, if it's, you know, if you see something there, you get a glimmer of something, it's, it's well worth sticking out. Right. Yeah, that's it. You kind of have to decide if something is worth fighting for. Yeah, I mean, and you find this on even probably every time you, you create anything. It doesn't need to be a book. But I mean, even if it's like you're shooting a video, you're shooting a documentary, or you're, I don't know, writing a poem, I don't know. But there gets to a point, point every in every one of those creative processes where you're like, all right, hold on a second. You know, this is not going to work. And like you were saying earlier, the, mm-hmm. the artist's insecurity, this sucks, I suck, the world sucks. And, you know, you you break through that and you're like, hold on a second, there is something here. Let's follow that thread or whatever. I know in every one of my documentaries, and I've only made three, so, but, you know, there's a couple more on the horizon. There's always a point where I sit down, I'll actually FaceTime my wife and say, I don't think this is going to work. I just can't mm-hmm. see a way through this. I'm, I'm not finding the real person behind um, their professional uh, facade. And, you know, it's only through perseverance and building of trust, actually, that you just, all of a sudden you see that glimmer and you go, now there's a there's a shard of light that I'm going to chase, you know? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think that a lot of the time, you're, you're right, perseverance is huge for that kind of thing. A lot of the time I'll, I'll be in that in that position where I'm like, I could just, I could give up on this this part that I'm trying to do that feels wrong. And if you're like, okay, just one more hour, <laughs> yeah. like messing with this, trying to find something often like you might not get all the way through but you'll you'll find like a chink yeah in, in what you were looking for yeah and be, be able to kind of like drive it a direction all of a sudden well wasn't it stephen king who said something along the lines of that they asked him about his writing process and he said that he wakes up every morning at some whatever 6 a.m or whatever and will write straight through to lunch he won't take any breaks okay. he just writes and 95 percent of it ends up in the bin <laughs> but he's committed to the process he's, right. and, and yet Stephen King is one of the most like prolific writers in ex- the world right exactly so 95% ended up in the bin that just shows you like how much you you can still do like keep doing that yeah I mean I, he's just committed to the to the process he doesn't give up I mean you guys know this anyone mm. who works in the arts if you're not committed to the process if you're not if you don't have that that gene of perseverance you're going to get nowhere because totally. it doesn't matter if you're an actor or anything else or a musician or whatever, if you don't have perseverance, you know, people think in this X factor, America's got talent, Canada's got talent, culture that all of a sudden anybody can be famous at any point. And really that's just not the reality. No. Well, yeah. Cause the people who like, who win those contests have been like driving at this for probably decades. A lot of them, right. And that's been, especially that six year old. <laughs> Fair enough. A six-year-old has being a six-year-old on their side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, but yeah, I know what you're saying. 
<laughs> but it's true. Yeah. Like there is a lot of like, you know, you don't see all the work that goes in beyond the TV show. Yeah. And it's more, I think I'm, well, I guess what I was trying to say is that that only happens to one person out of a billion. Right. Meanwhile, there's millions of other artists who are, you know, working three jobs to afford the one demo session to make a recording and to print a few CDs that they might sell at a concert or on the street that they'll, mm. they, but they'll get equally excited about those set, those selling those 10 demos that day. We sold 10 demos today and that's equally as valid, but there's so much hard work that goes mm. e- even into that. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have perseverance, you might as well give up on being an artist. Well yeah. then, <laughs> that's the takeaway from this, uh, from this podcast. <laughs> you don't have perseverance. <laughs> Give up. <laughs> There's nothing you can do. You can't work on it. <laughs> that's that's funny though. Like I, I definitely get that. Like I I've always hated the phrase aspiring or the word aspiring. Like when, when someone tells me they're an aspiring artist or an aspiring musician, I'm like, no, shut up. You are an artist. You are a musician. Yeah, like, do it. Don't sell yourself short. Just do the thing. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And you you probably read um the uh War of Art. Nope. The War of Art. Yeah. Uh, Sun Tzu? I, no, Sun Tzu is Art of War. Um, <laughs> no, really, that's true, actually. The, I think it, it's, it's, it's the other... Sun, I think. It's the other way around the title of this book. Yeah. I'm going to Google it, but Stephen something other, and it's all... Stephen King? No. <laughs> no, but it's Granting all... I, I will get on Google in just a second. But it's all about um, that whole idea, just you make the choice, or, or Seth Godin talks about, you know, the uh, essence of a human being is initiating... And I think one of the things I found when I was in LA doing some work, people would say to me, I'd ask them what they do for a living. And they say, well, I'm an, I'm an actor or I'm a musician or I'm a director. And then they'd serve me their coffee. They serve me my coffee or whatever, (laughs) but they had this mindset that they are an actor, they are a director there. And this coffee thing is just this waitressing thing or waitress being a waiter thing is all about just facilitating my next step. But while totally a lot of times I find in other parts of the world, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a waitress. What are you passionate about? Oh, I'd love to be an actor. And it's just, it, there's right. a certain mindset that goes with that LA thing. Not LA is not perfect in every way, but obviously, but there's certain things that, that I do like about it. This kind of assumption or not even assumption, this belief in their own identity that no, I'm an actor. I just happen to be working here until I get my biggest, my next job, you know? Right. Does it make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's like, I've been kind of trying this year to uh, to take myself more seriously as a creative person. Um, right. Like even, you know, between the podcast and social media things and trying to do some more freelance video work on the side. Uh, I shot my first like paid commercial this year, which was crazy. Oh, congratulations. Um, thank you. Yeah, it was. A, it felt like a big like step. Like I actually got paid to do something that's airing on TV and, you know, I'll be at local TV in French but still, um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's great though. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this year has been a lot of like, you know, accepting myself as a person who has these skills and like is capable of creating stuff and, and being willing to put myself out there for that has just been this huge, huge process. Yeah. Um, I, the amount of people I say, who say to me, they're not creative, but they would love to create. I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> You're starting from the wrong position there, you know, <laughs> change your posture on that, you know, get stuck into the creativity, try it. Um, yeah. You might find something there that you really, that you really love or resonates with other people as well. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And and you know, I've I've got a day job that I you know, I work forty five hours a week in an office that's conveniently located in my house, which makes things really easy. Yeah. Uh, but you know, when when people ask me what I do, I'll usually say that, and then I'll also say like, and also do like freelance video and audio production on the side. Right. Um, but I'm trying like slowly to like kind of make those two things take the same amount of my time, <laughs> and right. ideally make me the same amount of money. Yeah, it's, it's a slow, it's a slow climb. Just like shift the balance, a little less work, a <laughs> yeah, little right. more fun. Yeah, slide a little bit more weight to the left or right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the book actually is called The War of Art. It's by Stephen Pressfield, and okay. it, it's actually it gets a bit weird towards the end, towards the kind of the, like the seventy five percent, and then it gets good again at about eighty percent. But the, <laughs> the, the, there's a weird five percent in there, and I'll let you decide which five percent that is. But the the actual book is really quite inspiring because he kind of tries to. You know, support. It says here that it support those who struggle to express their creativity, and, it, and he talks about how resistance is our greatest enemy, and he kind of shows us ways of overcoming that resistance that blocks us from creating. And it's really it's a, it's one of those. I'm sure it's a New York Times bestseller, or at the very least, it's inspired a lot of people out of a out of a rut. Right. Yeah, it's a great yeah. book. So, so where can that resistance come from? I mean, I guess there's internal factors, but does he also like dip into external factors and how to deal with that stuff? Or I believe so. And now I read it. I, I think I read it about what, two years ago. Maybe I should read it again. But I think a lot of it is to do with the inner. Um, but I think it's also it's himself and Seth Godin. You know, they, they just say things like, you know, if you want to create, create. It's something like hmm. st- stop moaning, stop. Um, entertaining your apathetic, you know, side, you know, just get stuck in and try it, you know. <laughs> and th- I think the reality is that's where you also need people around you as well, because when you're in that funk, it's so much better to have people around you in that funk with you. <laughs> At the very least, you right. can give each other a, a leg up, you know. Yeah, I I, I made uh, at my last apartment with my old roommate. Uh, I made a, a little motivational poster that I put up on the wall that said. Uh, shut the fuck up and make some goddamn art you stupid bastard yeah. <laughs> we put it up in our studio at the old place uh and here at this new place i made a new poster that says uh hey maybe you should be making art instead of feeling sorry for yourself you dumb idiot that's great i, I there's so much going on in that quote <laughs> yeah. i feel it's like really we- a window into the soul of tom delatney right there but really like i find like you know these things look silly and they make great social media posts but they're also like actually like good motivators because I look at them and I say, oh, yeah, I am being dumb right now. I should stop you know, pitying myself and start working on something. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, here's a, here's a Stephen Pressfield quote for you. It's not as colorful as yours, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but it's a, he, he said here, the pain of not doing is worse than the pain of doing it. Huh. So, so the pain of not doing mm. it is worse than the pain of doing it. So it's it's for me as a creative, there really is that balance that – I would rather risk everything and try it than right. ho- than hold it inside and and let it kind of evaporate into nothing. Um, and I think that I would rather risk it and get it wrong than not risk it at all. Right. But that yeah, does, that's it. It's all it's all about trying and you know being willing to fail. Yeah, it is. But at the same time, that takes a certain type of person because that can beat you up as well. You know, failure yeah, sure. failure is not something you celebrate. I mean, we're talking about it would be great if we could, <laughs> but the reality is that you know when you're walking home after something not go, after something doesn't go well, you can't help but feel crap about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. But again, that comes back to your friends then saying, "Hey, how you doing? That wasn't so bad." Or you know, you could do better. Let's let's work on it together. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I think it's it's also about defining what failure is, right? Yes, it like is. You, you, my my brother. We had our, my brother on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he's he sort of blazed the trail in our family of like going off and and really like running at the creative thing, and like give, giving it sort of his, his full force, and like he had a ton of fun. He spent about ten years in like a couple in a couple of bands, like got like a a record deal and uh, did, wow. a, did at least one like Canadian tour and stuff. And then it didn't it didn't really work. Like they were one of those bands that they had they had one like radio song that got some good play and then the label kind of shunted, shunted them aside because they weren't moving records and stuff. Or they didn't write um, or they didn't write a worship album. Oh yeah, that that's <laughs> if if he if if he and I wanted to write a worship album, we could probably make it work. Yeah. If as long um, as you cover Good Good Father, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but he uh it, it's interesting talking to him now because he like he's not really doing much creative at the moment. Like he's working as a landscaper and just like trying to put his wife through school and stuff, which is really admirable. But he doesn't regret any of the stuff he did. Right? He doesn't consider that ten years failure. He, it's like he had an amazing time. Sure, he got some amazing opportunities, and now he's now he's in this place in his life now. Yeah. So it's interesting. Like you know, sometimes you do have to, um, you know, look at your priorities and be like, okay, like the reality of of life is that now. I have people that need me and I need to, you know, go and, and, you know, pay the bills for them or whatever. Absolutely. Um, and absolutely. Um, and you're right. I mean, I think I look back and when I lived in an old folks home for a couple of years, working with Alzheimer's patients or when I worked at McDonald's or when I dug a ditch in the rain or whatever. Yeah. And people could look at these things from the outside and think, what a loser. But actually, as I look back at my life, those things that the things I learned and those spaces and those places actually are, are the foundation of what I even do now. Some of the lessons I learned, like for example, living with for two years with Alzheimer's patients, all of a sudden I'm working with, you know, aging legacies, you know, whether they're Phil Tickle or Eugene Peterson or Tony Capola or whoever else. And you realize you have a skill set that was born out of something I learned, you know, mm-hmm. 20 years ago that I thought was worthless. And yet it all, it's all, it's all connected. You know, we, and like, so with your brother, the things he learned as a creative, I'm sure are feeding into the way he, he relates to his family and mm-hmm. it relates to his coworkers. He's probably a lot more open-minded than a lot of them. Um, you know, because he's, I think that that's definitely true. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's awesome. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. Like everything that we do does end up fixing stuff eventually. Uh, like I, I just recently, uh, I, I sent in an application for a job that I won't go into too much detail about because I, I haven't actually, you know, had the interview yet, but I saw this job posting and I was like, oh, that's perfect for me because it had to do with like creative things and working in a group with people and creating a program to teach people. But it was also very specifically geared toward like church people. And I've spent the past like 10 years of my life, you know, running programs and working in churches and like, you know, creating and and then teaching material to people of various age groups in church settings. Uh, and also now I'm doing like improv stuff and like comedy and performance things have been like a big part of my life for the past few years. And then I was just looking at this posting that I saw on Craigslist and I was like, I should apply for that. Uh, this, this is literally me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, this is like a creative project involving church type people. <laughs> I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Brilliant. And have you heard back yeah. from them at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm interviewing later this week. That's so great. I mean, if that ends up becoming a thing, I'll I'll post about it on social media or whatever. But even just kind of seeing that and thinking like, oh wow, like I it never occurred to me that like a job could exist that like encompasses all of the things that I'm directly good at. 
which is phenomenal. I mean, when you when you stumble across those things, when those things come to you, you've got to grab hold of them. I know. I would just one more Stephen Pressfield quote. I swear, I won't tell anymore. But you know, he has this thing. He has a Whose quote. Book are you plugging right now? <laughs> I know very badly my own. I think, but uh, Stephen Pressfield has this quote: "says Put your ass where your heart wants to be." And I love the idea that it's like just get stuck in. You know, I mean, do the work. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what you're doing with even even getting a hold of that, you know, applying to that new job. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of a sudden you're, you see where your heart is at, but you took that step to sh- shake yourself free of whatever things that might be constraining you to actually do that interview. Because I, I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but I find interviews terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 generally like it depends on how high stakes it is, right? Because for me, this is the type of thing where it's like if I were to get this, it would probably be a few hours a week that I would do, and it'd be fun. But I don't have like my whole future riding on it. I'm very open to the possibility of like going in and not getting it. Uh, it's mostly just exciting for me to see that that kind of thing exists, right? Right. Uh, and because when you see like a posting for something pop up that you think is like exactly like tailored to your skill set. It's super validating. Yes. <laughs> and so I looked at that and I immediately was like, okay, I'm going to email them about this just because I think it's really cool that this exists. But like, I have no, like, there's nothing riding on it, you know? Yes. I hear you. Absolutely. Yeah. They, it's a, uh, it's a good thing here. Here's hoping that'll come, come to pass. It'd be great for you. Right. That's it. Yeah. But, and, and then even if it doesn't, it's like, you know, it's a cool concept to me that that kind of thing can exist. Yeah. Speaking, speaking, as, <laughs> speaking as a person who's never had that in their life. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but hang on, don't you have that right now? You, you were just saying that you, well, you're finding all these skills that you, you've developed over the years are useful in your current. How dare life. you throw things back in my face? Um, <laughs> what is this? A political debate? Exactly. Yeah. What are you, who are you Trump? Um, <laughs> yeah, he's doing so well down in America. I'm so glad to be, he makes me proud to be American. I'm, I'm, I've got the number one podcast in Ireland. <laughs> Nobody has a better podcast in Ireland than me. It's incredible. It's fantastic. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. <laughs> if you don't like it, I'll put you in the face. I think that, I think I'm going to move to Canada if he gets elected. But I think, um, yeah. I mean, for me, well, from I'm, Ireland, that's a, <laughs> that seems like the wrong way around. You're yeah, safe yeah. over there. I don't Stay. think I, I don't think I really thought that through that last sentence. <laughs> I, I don't know if I thought through the whole hours conversation at this point, but no, I think oh, with geez. me, a lot of the work I do is, um, I don't think I've ever been invited to do what I do. I think I've always had to create it from scratch. Mm. So every job I have to this day, uh, I wrote the job description for it. Right. But thankfully mm. in a, in a couple of the in most of the situations, they sign it as a contract, and so I'm able to <laughs> you know walk it through. So I guess I'm in the position where I'm able to kind of create my own work, and people kind of get behind it. But it's not easy. I, I usually mm-hmm. I talked with you know with friends about the idea that you know with my creative life, the side of the door that I'm on is scarred and beaten down and scraped up and the paint's peeling off and there's loads of knocking marks on that door. You go around the other side and it's quite clean and almost looks brand new because a lot of my work is me knocking on doors and that persistence thing. It is. It just is. I mean, people look at my work, they see I have a book and videos and documentaries and churches, whatever it is. They think, wow, all these people must have just called Greg on the phone and said, hey, We'd love to work with you. Can you come make this for us? <laughs> no. Yeah, Does that it, never happens. <laughs> it literally never happens. <laughs> yeah. Like even like I this commercial I had to kind of line up. It was like a year in the making. The uh the people that I did it for, you know, they go to my church. Sure. And uh I was just chatting casually with the guy one day 
And he's like, yeah, like we'd like to like shoot a commercial for our store and, you know, air it with this like TV show that's airing that's like super related to like the products that we sell. Uh, but we don't really like, you know, we don't want to have a huge budget for it. And I was like, I can do it for like a smaller budget than anyone else would charge you for it. Brilliant. And uh, it was, you know, it was just planting the seed and like coming out of this place of like already having the networking because of church. Uh, and then, you know, seeing that there was a need and being like, I can actually do that for you Brilliant. and I can give you a better price than anyone else because I don't have nearly a big enough resume to get away with charging you a fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, and, and, and that's the thing you, you make your own work and you kind of, mm-hmm. you gotta be kind of unashamed about that as well. You just got to go for it and be proud of it. And do you know what I mean? I just think it's quite funny when people look at our stuff and they think, Oh wow, you guys have people just calling you all over the, all over the place and, <laughs> you know, offering you opportunities and those that does happen. And, and maybe it will happen more often, but here's a question for me. If it doesn't happen, what am I going to do? Give up? Right. No, yeah. no, that's not my, that's not, that's not how I work. I, you right. know, that's it. <clears throat> you got to keep pushing. I'm, I'm far too awesome to give up. <laughs> <laughs> I have delusions of grandeur. That's what I have. <laughs> I think you've got to have next book. I, I think creative <laughs> people need to have delusions of grandeur at some point. I think you're a little right. Bit. You 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 need to have a little bit of like that thing that says like I this thing that I make is worth people caring about. Yes, and caring about as much as I care about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. You got to love yourself the way that Kanye loves Kanye. Yeah, we all got to be Kanye. Yeah, Full, it's, good, it's that, good for creative. It's good for running for political office. <laughs> it's just good for everything. <laughs> Yeah. I would love if like the 2020 elections are like, you know, it comes down to like Kanye and Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I don't know who I'd vote for. Yeah, yeah that would be that would be a fascinating election. The first time in my life I've been torn between candidates. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, I mean, I, at this point, like you've kind of got to vote for Hillary. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, do, you, do you want do you want to talk about American politics, Greg? Is that uh, uh, I don't know. I, we, we kind of banned that topic for our podcast because we were just, we just, we just, we never shut up about it. It's just, fair. it's appalling. I, it's just, it's a real, it's actually quite sad from an outsider's perspective, living in Ireland, looking back, just going, America, what are you doing? I think it was, was it Shane, who, Shane Claiborne, who um, tweeted mm. today that uh, the American experiment is failing, you know, right. and it just, you look at the situation and, it's definitely a choice of lesser of two evils, but I can't imagine how anybody could vote for Trump at this stage. I generally can't. I don't know what kind of yeah. justification you could put on it. Yeah, mm. it's really baffling when I see things on Twitter where people are actually supporting him. I can never tell if they're like satire or not. Yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> it, 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 but it is, it is really like nobody, nobody is voting for somebody who they like. Pretty much, like Correct. there are. Yeah. I th- I think there are people who like consider Hillary a genuinely like good person. Who's I think she's hilarious. Like, yeah, she's she's funny for sure. <laughs> yeah, um, in her own odd way. Um, but I I don't think that there are many people who consider Donald Trump a genuinely good person. They just believe that Hillary Clinton is the devil. Right. So, <laughs> it's all the pantsuits, really. It's, <laughs> last time I saw the devil, he was wearing a pantsuit. Yeah, yeah. that is definitely the title of my next book. <laughs> devil, devil in a pantsuit. <laughs> devil wears pantsuit. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I mean, the, she. I mean, she's been involved with so much corruption over the years, and and all that. I just, I just. But every time I see Trump or hear Trump speak, I think, how can this guy? represent the leader of the free world i just can't imagine it it's like Hmm. it's like a brilliant will ferrell movie but it's but it's real life which makes it horrendous you know 
have you have you like seen alec baldwin's trump stuff on snl yet genius so good so good so 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 much yeah so much genius on snl right now too lin-manuel miranda's doing his time it's great yeah he's pretty incredible guy actually that oh my god that's impressive (laughs) stuff he's doing have you seen hamilton have we Uh, i mean seen no not legally um Absorbed in every possible avenue. Yes. <laughs> That's fantastic. A friend of mine was actually, a friend of mine got tickets the other day and said it was absolutely incredible. He said it just blew his mind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I remember when I first listened to it, it, it definitely like destroyed me. And then when I listened to it three or four more times, it still destroyed me. Wow. Well, seems like a good sign. I mean, but to think that he, I mean, he wrote this thing and then it comes out at a time where it really mimics in a lot of ways, the current political mm-hmm. setup. I mean, like, I don't know. I wonder if it was planned. I, I don't know. He, that's been on. Do you think? It, do you think he released it specifically based on this election cycle? Clinton or Trump? We know it's lose lose. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like that, that's actually like a, a pretty interesting thought because he started writing it like right around the time that Barack got into office. Exactly. Yeah. And so it, it it would be interesting if uh, if he kind of saw it coming that like you know there would be some tricky stuff going on, you know, eight years down the line, right in time to finish writing his musical. Or like, you know, I, I'm a big fan of the artists are the prophets of today, you know, whether they're in theater or comedians or, you know, whatever type of art it is. And, you know, I think that artists around the world hear and see things and tap into the zeitgeist to what's going on around us way before anyone else. And so totally. it's, 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 you know, very possible that this guy and his creative Work just knew that this is something that was stirring within him. And uh, yeah, it ends up to be just incredibly prophetic in the way that it actually is. Yeah, definitely. That's actually, uh, it's it's an interesting segue because we uh, we do have a Patreon question. Oh, we uh, do? For this week, yeah. Okay, guys, uh, if you would like to support our show, you can go to patreon.com slash up for discussion. If you uh, pledge some money, sometimes you get to give us questions. Sometimes we answer them. What's our question? Uh, so our question this week comes from Patrick, longtime supporter of the show, who yeah. uh, who wants to know what we think about this this culture that has emerged in the past couple of years of like just kind of rebooting everything. Rebooting? Oh, yeah. you mean like media wise? Yeah, rebooting everything media wise. So like bringing back, you know, new Ghostbusters, new Jurassic Park, new Star Wars, kind of all of this stuff where it seems to be there's no new ideas. It's just you know bringing old things back to life and giving them new energy. Hmm. Uh, so he wants to know like what our thoughts are on that. And I thought that might actually be interesting to talk about with you, Greg, since you are a creative person who uh, is always making things. I tell you, that's a really tricky question. I think it's it's a very insightful question, actually, because you could tie that into everything from, like you said, Ghostbusters, the second reboot or whatever, to even the church and trying to reboot itself over and over and over again. Right. You know, and I know there's that verse in the Bible somewhere that's like, there's nothing new under the sun. And I don't know if I believe that, to be honest with you. <laughs> not, I'm not talking about believe the Bible. I believe in the Word of God, you know, and all those kind of stuff. But at the same time, I do think there's new things to be created or to be found that's existed without us finding it. You know, they're always finding a new dinosaur somewhere or a new fish in the bottom of the sea or whatever. You know, creatively, we can find new things. So maybe I, I like got off the hook on this. Maybe he's created everything and, you know, he just uh, – we're just catching up with him, but right. Like we haven't found it all yet. Yeah, exactly. So maybe I'll let the author of whatever book of the Bible that was off the hook. But I think that well, wasn't, wasn't that, wasn't that Ecclesiastes? Like, I think you can, you can take a lot of those things. Like, sure. I don't, I don't think if you're going to, 
if you're going to tell me that everything is actually meaningless, I'm going to have some problems with you. Yeah, me too, actually. Oh. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> everything's meaningless, Tim. Everything is meaningless. Yeah. Although that does resonate sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to that dark side of us, to our shadow side. I know. I think yeah. that um, it's weird because I think that I prefer original, original content. Mm-hmm. I, I like to be surprised by content. I don't like to find myself listening to a talk or reading a book or watching a movie that I kind of know it's coming, but right. I can't deny that there's a creative process even in the rebooting. So, oh, totally. Yeah. Cause you're, you're adapting it for a new audience, right? Yeah. And you can't say that the actors and actresses or the AD or the lighting guy or whatever who worked on the set of Ghostbusters two wasn't actually trying, you know, to create something. Cause that would be to undermine his own art um, mm-hmm. It just wouldn't be an art that I would feel so drawn to. In saying that, my favorite type of art it, when I go to galleries is you know postmodern art, modern modern art. You know where it's where it is actually rebooting stuff. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. it's it's the it's it's you know whether it's the Warhols or whoever it is, the Jaspers or Jasper Johns or even Jackson Pollock to a certain extent, they're rebooting what they've seen before. They've been influenced by artists prior to them, and all of a sudden they're coming up with something creative and new themselves, but. Is it original? I don't know. To me, it feels original enough. Um, right. I just guess I don't like carbon copies is what I'm trying to say. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. But like like print or movies and TV are an interesting medium, right? Because they're they're performance art. And yet the art, what you consider the art piece is the record of the art piece. Right. Yeah. So like. It's you wouldn't you wouldn't say that like oh they're rebooting Hamlet again at the theater downtown like that's so weird yeah. because like that's the point of it is that like it's a good point the, the perform the performance is 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 the art right like the art the art is there but at the same time like you you don't say like oh that actor like he's not as good as the Hamlet who was like thirty years ago like why why did they have to redo Hamlet again um, but like, it's interesting with with movies that like be, because we can go back and just like keep watching you know, whoever it was who played Tarzan in the forties, we, you know, we have the, we have this thing of like, Oh, why are they doing another Tarzan movie? Like who could ever want to be an actor playing Tarzan at this point? Yeah. You're making a really good point. I don't, I don't think I've ever thought of it that way. I've never gone, but yet I do that with music. I'll do that with film. I'll do that with TV, mm-hmm. but with theater, I don't know. Why is it that we get, we cut them so much slack. Maybe we should be giving them a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> These guys write new plays every <laughs> year come Stop on doing my miserable again all right we've seen it i know it's a cat come on whatever I, and, and so i don't know i it's a it's a really good point because you, you i don't critique live theater in the same way but i will critique like if beatles come out with another anthology album i think i might just i don't know what i'll do but you know i like the how beatles. do they keep doing that aren't half of them dead i'm, I'm really confused <laughs> they literally actually half of them are dead now actually as a matter of fact yeah, yeah john lennon was shot and george died of cancer unfortunately but they, yeah. i think that like they the original albums you know rubber soul revolver etc cetera, etc cetera, amazing but they just keep coming up up with new anthology and collection after collection after collection and that annoys me um but when it comes to theater i just i guess i'm just more i don't know why am i more patient with theater <laughs> because because theater can't be any other way right like you can't it 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 feels it feels weird to have like a taping of a play and watch it in your living room as opposed to like, that's the point of theater to go and to go and see like viscerally this art that's being created in the moment. It's the same reason that like, you know, people don't begrudge people like bands for playing the same songs at every concert, you know, cause that's, 
Like it's it's not that you want well, a, an entirely again, new song. It's that you want the that performance, that like in the moment raw artistry. I would I, I would tend to agree with you, except for I made the mistake of seeing police in concert about five years ago. Okay. And it was just like it was like watching geriatric karaoke. It was Oh, that's unfortunate. I really wanted to see that show. Yeah, Do you, you mean geriatric? <laughs> yeah. I like that. Geriatric. <laughs> I think that I just it was so disappointing because I wanted to hear the hits. Like you said, I wanted to hear the hits mm. live. I wanted to experience them live. Mm. And this is no joke. They cut to the drummer. I think it's Summers, his last name. They cut to him and... No, it's uh, Stuart Copeland. Yeah. Oh, who's Summers? He's the guitar player. Yeah. 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 So Stuart Copeland's playing the drums. They cut to him in between songs and he's literally taking on oxygen. <laughs> oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> and every song had become a reggae song. And every song had like five minutes of call and response from the audience just to give them a bit of a break mm. and it was just it was disappointing i guess so right. i guess I, I don't know maybe there's a sell-by date when it comes to rebooting <laughs> i mean maybe. i think it also you know that that kind of also depends on the uh where the artist is at right because if you go see a production of hamlet just to come back to hamlet uh and the actors aren't really into it and they're kind of phoning it in like you're not going to have a good experience even if you've never seen hamlet before correct well, yeah and if it's the same guys who were playing hamlet in the 50s you're probably going to have a problem yes <laughs> a major problem yeah, but, yeah. yay hamlet i guess yeah hamlet <laughs> Hamlet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man but do you do you think that this do you think that re like within film and stuff rebooting has gotten worse it, if if we call if we can call it a problem, has it has it gotten more severe that more is being rebooted than it was? Yeah, I definitely think that people are backing. I mean, I, okay, I don't work for I don't work in Hollywood or Dollywood mm. or Bollywood or whatever, but I do actually Dollywood would be, would be a great place to work. Have you been to Dollywood? I love to work in Dollywood. <laughs> hold on, hold on. Where is Dollywood? It's Sally Parton's theme park in somewhere in, <laughs> in America in the South. That's fantastic. Yeah, there actually exists. No, but um, I. I definitely think there is a lack of backing fresh creativity that exists within the mainstream. So, you know, they'd rather back something that was successful a decade ago and reboot it than back something that's never been done before, like an in- right. like an Inception. How did you get Inception made? I mean, that's you uh, be Christopher Nolan, but but I mean, <laughs> or you do three Batman movies first, right? Like, but did he though? Was Inception wasn't Inception before that? It was. I think it. It was between it was two of them. During okay. It was, it was. I think it was after the Dark Knight. He did Inception. Or even like Magnolia. Or there's films that are out there that don't fit into any genre. But and precious. Yeah. Based on the novel Pushed by Sapphire. Amazing, amazing. And so like, and so like, you literally. I mean, you call that a book reboot, but I guess it doesn't count, does it? No. Yeah, it's an adaptation. <laughs> it's ad- yeah. We'll go with adaptation. But I think that people are more willing to back a sure thing or quote unquote, mm. something that at least will bring mm. in enough money than they are to take the risk with something new. And that, I think that is problematic. Mm-hmm. I think we need, I think I th- yeah, oh, go ahead. No, yeah. I was just saying, I think we need, we need, we need more patrons out there who are willing to back the new things because like new artists, like our, podcasts. like our podcasts, but new artists and new screenwriters and new, they'll never have an opportunity to actually break that glass ceiling unless someone takes a risk on them. Right. Yeah. I don't. I, th- I think there's there's two things that I see going on in in this reboot culture. Number one is that I think I think the pace of culture and like cultural turnover is just accelerating across the board. Like everything, <clears throat> everything happens faster. Everything gets old faster um, now than it did a few decades ago. 
um, because just information pours into everybody's heads and it's like like you can have a whole like social media conversation about like a really contentious political issue and like everybody decides what they think in a week right yes Um, and i think that happens with media too where like especially now with with like netflix binging and stuff you don't you don't get attached to media nearly as nearly as deeply you you binge it and then you move on to the next thing yeah so by the time five or six years have passed you can barely remember what that thing was and it's you know it's right for a reboot there's not there's nothing really holding you to to that sort of past no you're right um, you're right that vision of it i think the other thing that might be happening is that like creative power may be draining to other forms of media right like a, a lot of the original thinkers who would be going into film are maybe like doing YouTube stuff or sure. maybe doing other random stuff on the internet. And so you're, you're left with, and I think I see this in TV too, you're left with the pool being the people who were willing to take the more conservative path. And maybe you end up seeing that in like a conservative view of what should be produced. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. And I, and I think that like, and it, it's funny cause it's very easy to, to dismiss YouTube. Um, Especially if you're for, if you're over thirty five or over thirty, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like you go, oh, those kids—they're just making stuff on the internet. And then your son tells you, "Dad, that guy drives a Lamborghini and has a, and owns an island." And you're like, yeah. <laughs> you're like what? And you you realize, like you're saying, it's just, it might have just shifted to another genre, like like you said, like well, like YouTube and podcasts, and and I do like that accessibility factor, though. I like that people can get a hold of. They, there's an outlet there that exists that doesn't depend on you know, those 11 got old angry guys in California who would make all the decisions saying yes or no to you, you know? 11 old angry guys, a new play by Greg Crumholz. <laughs> it is a reboot. <laughs> no, what is it called? 10 Angry Men? What is that film called? 12 Angry Men. 12, yeah. Snow know. White and the Seven Angry Men. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's going to go a lot. That's a, that'll be the sequel to my uh, The Devil Wears a Pantsuit. That's great. That's beautiful. <laughs> oh, man. Well, Greg, this has been super fun. Well, yeah. well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. I really need to go pee. That's why I'm cutting, um, that's if, why I'm cutting us now. If, if people want to find your book in as people in, say, Canada, how would they go about doing that? Do you know? Amazon.Canada. I'm not sure what the... Amazon.ca. Ka. Is it ka? Right. Is it, yeah, so Amazon.ca. And then, and then if they want to see any of the other creative stuff I'm doing... Um, gregfromholtz.com that's g-r-e-g-f-r-o-m-h-o-l-z.com and you can see everything from my showreel to links to the music videos to even links to my uh, documentaries and and I will mention that uh, we're right now we're a third of the way through a Kickstarter campaign um, to raise the money necessary to do the Tony Capolo documentary um, with, nice. which we hope to release in the new year so if people want to participate in that just Kickstarter Greg Fromholtz and we'd love, you know, to have you partnering with us. Sweet. Excellent. Yeah. And we'll post, uh, we'll post links to all those things in the uh, description of this episode as well. Thanks, Tom. Thank, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate you guys. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, our pleasure. And have it's a- been super fun. Uh, this has been like a really stimulating conversation. I think there's a lot of good came out of it. Yeah, I hope so. I, I, I certainly, it's got me thinking for sure. We, we at least got a few great ideas for screenplays. That's for sure. <laughs> Good. I want. I want. Uh, I want. Uh, I want some credit on that. We will have to split the royalties. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and saying that the devil wears a pantsuit would be a great musical. Maybe we should call up your guy from Hamilton. He could be in oh on that goodness. one. Just call up Lin Manuel. Like, yo, we've got a project for you. I tell you, if he heard, the, if he heard the title, he'd be like, I'm in. 
Yeah, it's 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 a Meryl Streep fronted musical where she plays Hillary Clinton, and um, what's her name? Anne Hathaway stars yeah. as her uh, Secretary yeah. of State. Anne Hathaway starring as Donald Trump. Nailed well, it! Nailed it! That's it. He, My casting choices—they're unconventional, but they really work. And if Meryl Streep, nobody makes better casting choices than me. <laughs> and if Meryl Streep's in it, you know it's going to win something. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All the Oscars. It's a it's a play. Doesn't matter. It's a, work. All right, well, guys, if you want to if you want to uh, follow us, you can follow us at Down with Talking on Twitter. You can follow Tom at Tom's Latin Eye, me at Acapella Science. You can go uh, give us a, a review on iTunes. That would be really nice. And uh, tell people about the show. Share this episode. Whatever. And um, uh, follow Greg at Greg Fremholz. That's right. Sweet. All and right. check out the graveyard shift. They talk about me a lot. It's a good show. We do. We always get. I, well, I I'll, I'll stand up. I'll stand up tall on this one. I always get your last name wrong. I just call you zucchini. That's totally fair. That's pretty fine. Well, Scott frequently calls you farmhouse, so I guess I guess we're even. Yeah, it's pretty much as even then. Good. I can take that. Mm, cool. <laughs> Have a Greg wonder- from Hulse. It's been good having you. Thanks for having me, Tim and Tom. We appreciate it. <laughs> I really liked you in in the movie Holes with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, I was. I, that was one of my best roles. I think. <laughs> okay i really need to pee <laughs> all right well so long God bless us, that, oh dear what should i play uh, um do dance it. dance wherever you may be i am the lord of the dance said he and i'll keep you and i'll lead you on in the dance said he greg i'm really sorry for this <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely doing a musical. Definitely a musical. All right. Bye, Greg. See ya. See ya.